iceberg. It's all on the surface, baby. Episode six. Yep. April twenty seventh, twenty twenty one. It is Tuesday. It is a beautiful day outside. We started at the bottom, and now we're here. Literally, it was like zero degrees Celsius last night, and we're going up to nineteen today. Got the windows and doors open. The cats are strewn about. The dog will be enjoying some hot air on the deck later. I am Lee. If you haven't already, please go back and see last week's episode. That was, in fact, a bonus episode uh, where me and Reed talked about Final Fantasy VII Remake and some predictions. I highly recommend, highly recommend you check it out. Public Beta Podcast also last week. This week we'll be wrapping up Metal Gear Solid, so check that out as well. Also, a lot of video games to talk about. Games are coming out again. That's right. All right. Well, I have a loaded loaded show today. Where do we even start? We're going to start with a review of Mortal Kombat. That is Mortal Kombat 2021, just released on, I believe, HBO Max is where the Warner Brothers stuff is, if you're not uh, subscribed to freemium, so to speak, Uh, and that movie is out. That movie is out VOD and in theaters, did pretty okay in theaters, even though you can readily find this movie on the internet. Uh, We're going to talk about that movie, and I got positive things to say, and we'll be right back with that, Uh, but first we got new Monster Energy Drink flavors, and is my podcast, and I'm going to... I'm going to talk about them. We got two flavors. We got Papillon and we got uh, Chaotic Punch, both in orange cans, uh, adorned with butterflies. The uh, the Chaotic is in that teal and orange can, whereas the Papillon here is in a uh, uh, peach-colored and uh, kind of salmon-colored can. Uh, the one I'm drinking today is the Papillon, and it is uh, nectarine and peach-flavored, very subtle, not too sweet, not a bad uh, sippy to throw in the rotation, to be honest with you. Kind of stands, kind of stands right next to the the mango one. You know the one that mango one they got. If you prefer uh, a peach to the mango, uh, and you prefer something a little less sweet, that's for you. The chaotic one is basically a re-release of their orange punch uh, chaos or whatever it was called in the orange can. This one tastes almost the chaotic punch rather tastes almost exactly like orange drink from McDonald's or Tang, if you will. Just a little bit of carbonation, pretty solid orange flavor. If you are an orange-flavored drink or energy drink aficionado, I recommend Chaotic. Uh, both of these flavors are good in terms of the uh, the line of products by Monster that I, I classify as juice energy drinks. Uh, they do have that little bit of fizz, but you can sip them in place of a juice. Uh, th- it's great. It's fine. It's really good. Both these flavors are, are quite good. I picked up some new Rockstars today as well. They're so cheap. They're cheaper than water. Walked into a 7-Eleven earlier today, loaded myself up for bear, got lots of video games to play, etc. But let's talk about Mortal Kombat 2021. Uh, This movie, uh, they they did a web series a few years ago. Uh, There was like a proof of concept, little little video about Mortal Kombat, and that got uh, funded and turned into a full series, which nobody watched. I don't know anybody who uh, stuck around through that thing, it kind of failed to find its identity. Uh, it, it focused too much on telling its own version of the story, which this new movie doesn't. I really, really enjoyed this movie. It, it, like, I, I really have no complaints. I will complain. I'll, I'll tell you what's different in this movie than what you know, uh, in established Mortal Kombat canon. And I don't personally feel, it, it seems like every video game movie is like, okay, what's the established story? What are millions of people already aware of being the case. Okay, we're going to change that. Uh, 
namely in this movie, they, they've changed the tournament, the idea of the tournament, and who competes in it. Uh, where we still have all the different realms. We have Outrealm, we have Earthrealm, etc. Uh, we have Hellrealm, was it Netherrealm or whatever, wherever uh, Scorpion hangs out. Uh, and there, there's a tournament. There's a Mortal Kombat tournament. And if uh, if someone beats you ten times in a row in this tournament, they own you. They they control your realm. They can just take like roll their armies in and take over. And uh, we learned that Outrealm, uh, led by Shang Tsung and his merry band of, of villains here, uh, they don't wait for the tournament. There is nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play basketball. There's nothing in the rule book that says uh, th- that they can't compete outside of the tournament. They have taken uh, that little line in the contract or whatever it is for the tournament and have extrapolated it into, we're just going to assassinate uh, the fighters before they can even compete, uh, ensuring that any training they do uh, is is completely moot uh, and here's here's how they how the combatants are decided. It's a it's a tattoo. It's like a birthmark on your body. Uh, if you are gi- if you are given this mark, the it's the Mortal Kombat symbol, literally. Uh, you are you you you're you're in you're in, buddy. Uh, and I don't know if this mark only appears on. So this is a mark you can take from someone else by defeating them in Mortal Kombat, killing them, I guess, and then you become the marked one. And uh, sometimes these marks end up on uh, p- people that have no interest in competing, can't compete, are evil people, etc. Uh, and you have Raiden, who is an elder god, and he is there. He's helping Earthrealm, but he cannot get directly involved and is mostly used as a teleportation device in this movie, which is fine. Uh, we don't get to see Raiden really throw down in this movie. We don't get to see a lot of really big throwdowns in this movie, and that's apparently a complaint... Uh, that some people have, that this is a setup movie. And they're absolutely right, it is. Uh, but did you have fun with the setup uh, movie, as it were? And you you cannot look back on this movie and say, man, that was a bad Mortal Kombat movie just because they're setting up further Mortal Kombat movies. Here's the here's the deal with these these kind of IPs now, is you, you set up something to come or you die. Uh, easily you could tell an, an open shut story. In the Mortal Kombat universe, absolutely. The, the tournament is won by Earth and everyone's happy. The idea that you build up a tournament and then we don't see it in this movie, uh, you know, has rubbed some people the wrong way. But I digress. We have a original character as the main character in this movie. Uh, the movie begins showing us some backstory uh, for for Scorpion, Sub-Zero, and uh, the Lin Kuei and, and setting up uh, that rivalry and what happens uh, Scorpion, how he becomes a lost soul bent on revenge, uh, as the immortal song goes. And uh, Sub-Zero, just a straight-up heel in this, is is more or less Darth Vader. He's the muscle, he's the scary ninja killer. Uh, his powers are manifested very, very cool, uh, no pun intended, in this movie. Uh, it's, it's neat to see the ice come out of his hands and see that it's like actually hurting him when he does it. Or, or seeing the extent of which he can use his ice powers, the consistency... And overall, this movie has a lot of attention to detail to showing things you saw in the game in the movie. Uh, in terms of just moves they're using during fight scenes, in uh, little jokes throughout. Uh, that's what this movie does really good. On top of the characterization, which is why the main character being an original character in this movie... That, of course, like, of course a video game movie would do that. Of course there's like, oh no, we'll put our own guy, the guy that we own, and that'll be... That'll be our mark on the, it's it's fine. Uh, basically, you have the everyman here uh, to, to, so the other characters can explain stuff to him. 
and we can understand it. This this was kind of in the original Mortal Kombat movie. This was kind of Johnny Cage. Uh, his role is is basically just the Hollywood movie star who's who's involved in this tournament, and they can kind of like explain stuff to him because uh, because characters like Sonya Blade and Jax and Liu Kang are already already kind of know what's going on uh, in this movie. So let's talk about the characters. You've got a pretty good solid cast of characters in this, uh, and we, you know we got Melina, we got uh, Cabal makes a, a, an appearance here. Uh, Prince Goro's in this thing. Uh, there's there's a lot of, of villain foils here, and uh, they do not shy away uh, from killing a lot of these characters, as as do the games. The games, like, since 9, when they're doing the reboot and retelling, they will just kill main characters. And yeah, they'll be available as a zombie character down the road, and you can still play them in the one-on-one and stuff like that. But they, they do not shy away from doing that. They also didn't uh, take great care in bringing in any new Mortal Kombat characters. You mostly have classic characters uh, in this in this movie, uh, the more recognizable ones. Like, if you've played Mortal Kombat 2 in the arcade 20 years ago, you're going to know who most everybody is in this movie. And I think that's important, too, because obviously you can expand uh, the, the roster later and you can just pump the next one full of fucking characters. That's fine. Uh, so, I digress. Uh, Louis Tan plays Cole Young. He's an MMA fighter. He's got the Mortal Kombat mark, and he loses uh, a, a MMA match. We see him fight at the beginning of the, the movie here. Um... Spoilers, I guess, from here on out, because I'm just going to be kind of talking freeform about this movie. I do recommend you go see it. Maybe jump a little forward in the uh, the video or the the, the video, the podcast, if you want to uh, watch it for yourself before spoilers. Uh, but we got Kung Lao in this thing. We got Liu Kang. Uh, they're already already kind of hanging out with uh, Raiden, and getting ready for the tournament. Uh, Sonya Blade isn't marked, uh, but she is working with Jax, uh, who who is uh, to. Figure out this whole this this conspiracy, this whole tournament, Earth Realm, Mortal Kombat thing. They they have been looking into. They're part of the special forces branch of the military, as they always were. The character setups in this are exactly as as you would expect, uh, which is great. Kano's in this thing. He's a good guy at first. He's of course going to fight for Earth Realm because he's marked. He took it off of someone he killed. Uh, he's very antagonistic. He, uh, Josh Lawson plays Kano in this movie, and he's fantastic. Uh, he's a it's a perfect characterization of Kano. Um, and I will say that about pretty much every established character in this is that the strength here is the characters and getting the characters to stand and and interact with each other and fight. And this movie does a stellar job of that. Uh, so if you're into Mortal Kombat at all, I can't see you having a big problem with the, the changes in the lore that they do in this movie. And back to front, it's a fun time and you'll just end this movie being like, yeah, they should make more of those. That's fine. Uh, and to that end, uh, good on you. So the main the main thing that changed here outside of the combatants being marked is that uh, you have like an arcana. You have like a magic that you're able to tap into when you are marked. Uh, everybody accesses it a different way uh, through emotion or or something like that. Either be it hate, anger, uh, you know, uh, needing to help someone. Whatever it is, uh, it manifests in you. And this is how they explain the magic power. This is how Liu Kang shoots fireballs. This is how Sonya Blade shoots those pink uh, energy blasts. Uh, and then it, and then it goes as so far as to this is how Jax gets his metal arms? Follow me here. So if you've seen the trailer, you know Jax's arms get blown off. The monks uh, basically make him some shitty puppet arms. And then when he's, he's later and he needs to lift a heavy rock... Those puppet arms look to evolve and change into the huge metal Jax arms that we're used to. And it is was not clear to me if that was 
supposed to have? Like, is that what the monks did? Did they put that in him? Or is that his his arcana manifesting and giving him these really strong arms? More confusing than that is uh, Cole's relationship at the beginning. You see a young girl come in, and based on the way Cole looks and the way she looks, I'm like, oh, younger sister. But then, like, that girl's mom comes in. She looks like Cole's age. And then the girl calls her mom. So I'm like, oh, is that Cole's mom? She's just casted really young. No, th- this is a family unit. Cole has a, has a wife and kid, and he is a flailing MMA fighter in this movie. Uh, he's he's drawn in to the conflict, obviously, because, as I said, Outworld is just straight up assassinating people bearing uh, Earthrealm's mark uh, to compete in the tournament. So they go for Froyo, and Sub-Zero shows up and tries to fucking murder him and his family. Uh, Sub-Zero also big into family murdering. He won't just kill you. He he will kill uh, your your wife, your kid. Doesn't give two shits. Uh, Sub Zero's characterization here is really really cool, and it's it's actually very neat to to have a clear cut uh, make Scorpion into a tweener kind of good guy, just lost soul vengeance spirit that's got a grudge against the Lin Kuei and Sub Zero, uh, therefore de facto making him a a good guy, quote-unquote. And, of course, he he bared the mark as well. So he was an Earthrealm representative at some point. And, spoilers, we learn at some point that Cole is a descendant of uh, Hanzo's bloodline, Scorpion's bloodline, and he was born with the mark, therefore. And this whole time, Scorpion has just been in hell, uh, getting angry, uh, putting in colored contacts, just getting mad, hanging out with demons and fire and shit. And uh, so he's like a dead ghost ninja. Uh... Cool. Excellent. And then basically you can have the arc of Sub-Zero here being the bad guy until his comeuppance at the end. And then, of course, uh, with Sub-Zero, you can go a a number of directions after that. We can introduce a noob Cybot character into this and then have a babyface Sub-Zero come in later, which which you got to have. Once you have the other ninjas running around, once you have uh, some more of the villains revealed, we can get Sub-Zero on the good guy side. And in terms of that, I feel like Scorpion and Sub-Zero are kind of done their due diligence here. Uh, whereas they weren't in the the original movie, or they're they're used a little uh, more. Ah, I don't know. I, I like the way they're characterized here. Uh, and there's of course the big money shot fight at the end uh, between these two. So, uh, yeah, like I said, the characterizations are good. Uh, Kung Lao is excellent in this movie. Uh, so, somebody's got to get killed by Shang Tsung though. Shang Tsung's got to suck the soul out of somebody. And uh, I, I'm gonna say the special effects in this movie are pretty fucking good. Maybe I don't see a lot of movies like this, but for something that seems kind of relatively budget, very few sets in this movie, uh, but the special effects, even on Prince Goro and stuff like that, like he was a, mostly a puppet in the original movie. Uh, here he's he's CGI and and looks great. Uh, everything in terms of that is 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 on on spot on here. Like you're getting a a A plus S rank uh, special effects package here with the Mortal Kombat movie. All the movies look great. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they they there's a lot of nuance in the fighting scenes to be like, oh, Sub Zero just used like his throw from the game that he's always had. Like he just he just did it in real life, and it happened so fast uh, that if you're a fan, it looks awesome. If you're not, you you don't recognize it. It's just a cool thing he did. Uh, there's tons of that, and there's tons of that with the characterization in this movie, uh, and the characters really really shine through. So like I said, if you are a fan of Mortal Kombat, um, check this. Check this fucking movie out. I, re- I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if I want to go too, too more deeply into spoilers other than to say um, they do put Cole into a leadership role by the end of this. Like, he kind of takes control and tells everybody what they're going to do. And uh, it's fine because, like, somebody had to fucking do it. But 
And again, I don't know that you would just delegate Cole to just be one of the guys uh, at some point, or if you would kill Cole in like a, in a future movie and just let the strength of the the core known Mortal Kombat uh, characters go. But when Cole gets his uh, Arcana, let's say in the fight with Goro, it's a pretty good scene, and and you you kind of realize that yeah, why can't why can't Cole just be another character in this game? Uh, or in this movie, you know what I mean? Like uh, he he's he's got cool tonfa like el- elbow blades. He's got a Black Panther esque like armor suit that seems to absorb kinetic energy, and then he can he can redirect it into strikes and stuff like that. It's fine. Uh, it's it's kind of cool, uh, and it's and it's fine. And then the connection to Scorpion is also kind of kind of suspect in the fact that uh, they don't show you it in the trailer, but Cole is part of the showdown with Sub Zero at the end when Scorpion uh, reappears to take his vengeance. And like I said, anything to do with uh, quote-unquote fatalities uh, or, or paying homage to that for fan service, it's it's here. So you can't watch this and be like, okay, well, I, I have no hope for, for where they go from here. The, the movie is, is so much fun that even the violence uh, comes off as like, whoa, rather than like, oh, gross. Like it's, it's hype, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Especially Kung Lao's fatality. Uh... When it, when it pops up in this movie. So, big recommend. Love the casting. Uh, love that they they just, they're like, no, no, no. We'll, we'll hire relative nobodies. They're not nobodies. You'll, you'll recognize some of the, the faces and stuff in this movie from other smaller things. But they didn't go with, like, a, a huge name hire uh, in this movie. Outside of, of Scorpion himself, uh, who's an actor you'll recognize. Uh, Hiroyuki Sanada, I believe is his name. Plays Hanzo Hasashi slash Scorpion. Uh, that is someone you you will probably recognize for from a number of other projects, including that Japanese Wolverine movie and uh, Last Samurai and stuff like that. He's he's massive uh, overseas, and they they keep trying to give him work uh, over here. And what was it? Forty Seven Ronin. He was like the main character of that. And then when they were releasing it over here, they're like, "Nah, we got to film something with Keanu Reeves in it." To get people to show up to this movie, but that guy on on his own right is a, is a fantastic Scorpion. Scorpion has some of the most money lines in this fucking uh, in this fucking thing. Speaks all in Japanese. Uh, really well done. I can't recommend Mortal Kombat twenty twenty one enough. If you uh, again, if you're not a fan of the series, uh, if you just like action movies or or sci fi stuff, it's good for that too. Uh, but don't go into this expecting, you know, an MCU-level execution or something like that. It's it's on its own terms. If you like Mortal Kombat, will you like this movie? Yes. Yes, you will. All right. Uh, let's move on to the Oscars. <laughs> Why not? The Oscars happen on Sunday. It's all, it's all going to tie together. Trust me. Uh, and uh, trending downwards. 9.8 million viewers. 2021 that is down from 23.6 million in 2020 that's a drop of over 10 million viewers for the oscars obviously it's not the same show all the famous people aren't there they're going to do the best they can but it's not the spectacle maybe people are expecting but you can't just blame the pandemic on this as if we go back to 2014 the oscars were pulling in 43.7 million and then uh just Four years later, in 2018, they were looking at 26.6. They've almost cut their viewership in half already years before the pandemic even began. Comparatively, the Game Awards live streams have grown since 2016 at 3.8 million, which is an insane number already, to 2020's viewership online of 83 million. 
83 million people live streaming the Game Awards. Wild. And that's up from 2019, the previous year, from 45.2. It almost doubled in a year. Why? Well, in my opinion, uh, the game the game uh, reveals, uh, having some of the major companies uh, be involved in this, but have it still not be something that's lobbied for in the way that the Oscars are, where it's just like, if you run your campaign like a politician, you will get an Oscar. Uh, Har- you know, Harvey Weinstein, trigger warning, uh, that 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 guy was really good at petitioning uh, the Oscar voters and and getting that extra shot in the arm uh, for his his movies or shot in the the house plant whatever you want uh, shouting to to you know to win an Oscar guarantees your movie makes some more money. Well, at that point, it's a fucking business. The Game Awards, uh, because everybody does their Game Awards. You are interested in individual people's Game Awards. Uh, maybe not ours, but say uh, Giant Bomb, for example. Not only are you interested in what they collude is the greatest games of the year, you might want individual members' takes. And I think the Game Awards is kind of an extrapolation of that. It's it's not quite a popularity contest. We're just honoring all these games... Uh, some people will have them above others. You want to see your game win something, the the you know whatever you're rooting for, and then in between they try to put together content that you as a gamer uh, would like to see musical performances, uh, for example, and stuff like that from games. Uh, g- taking music from games out of the context of games uh, is always great. I always love it. Uh, it's why something like video games live uh, and and you know when the like, orchestras take on some some video game stuff, it's always great. Um, the, the where it hits you. So, I think that's great. But I think the the promise uh, that you know the big three are going to be there. There could be game announcements. There's going to be sales throughout. This thing is long. Just put it on the background while you play some games. It's a celebration of all things games. I think it fundamentally stands in opposition of the Oscars, which is just like this is a cool uh, club. Uh, where we're all just gonna just just like millions millionaires sitting around uh, patting each other on the back, and uh, if you've got a cable subscription, you can watch us party, but you don't get to see the good stuff, and uh, that's that. It's the business, and Game Awards doesn't quite have that yet. On top of it's a live stream, not something that's just on television. That if something like the Oscars could appear on YouTube or something, you'd get that Gen X, you'd get that younger generation, uh, something cool. The how many people do you know your age, if you're my age, that's confusing, uh, still have cable? Still still have the, the ability to watch Oscars without streaming it from somewhere on the internet illegally? That's a big fucking factor here. And it's the same factor with, with a lot of sports as well. Uh, regular season stuff, the, the run-of-the-mill stuff. There, there has to be... It has to evolve. And making your own Netflix service, uh, like Peacock, or all these things that are coming out of the fucking woodwork, isn't it. That isn't live. That isn't what we're talking about here. Anyhow, I digress. Good for the Game Awards. And as, uh, what's his name from Hazelight Studios says, fuck the Oscars, my friend. Uh, watch some other movies this week. Just just feeling some nostalgia. Let's go watch some movies I've seen a million times. Uh, do you ever do this? Watch movies you haven't, you've seen a million times but haven't seen in a million years? The Mask of Zorro from 1998. What a... What a fucking film. What a film this is. So, 1998, you got Antonio Banderas, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Anthony Hopkins. Basically all at the height of their powers. Anthony Hopkins coming off of like six years of Academy Award 
nominations slash wins uh silence of the the lambs and then other movies like that uh man, man's just killing it uh there is there is no two sexier people on the planet in 1998 than antonio banderas and Catherine zeta jones uh you got two great bad guys in this movie the, you got you've got like the psychopath uh general uh and he's he's putting his his enemies heads in, in jars of wine and he relishes killing people especially minorities you've got Raphael. He's, he's come back to California, and he's got a plan to buy California away from Spain, I think it is, using gold mined in California, which would therefore mean it belongs to to the guy he's buying it from. Also, when you haven't seen a movie in a long time, you find a lot of nuances uh, in a movie that, even though you've seen the movie a million times as a kid, you've, you've never noticed before. One of them is in a, uh, there's a dinner scene where uh, Antonio Banderas is in, uh, he's, he's undercover, he's going in as a nobleman and, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, if you haven't seen this movie, Anthony Hopkins plays the original Zorro. Uh, things go bad for him. His 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 mortal enemy, Raphael, here, uh, at, you know, through a scuffle in their home, he discovers who Zorro is. He shows up. He goes to shoot Zorro, and Zorro's wife jumps in front and dies. Their baby is crying. Uh, Raphael puts Zorro in jail forever uh, and uh, steals the baby to raise his own. This is Catherine Zeta-Jones' character. And, uh, you know, years and years and decades later, he breaks free and he's out for revenge. And he finds Anthony, uh, Anthony? Uh, Antonio Banderas' character, who uh, who's also out for revenge. Uh, against the the general that he has in his employ, and uh, together they have a they have a mutual goal uh, of revenge. And uh, you know, there's a the a mentorship, a handing down of of the Zorro. And in terms of like this movie coming out in 1998, it's basically the perfect template for a like a superhero origin. And there's some very very close parallels to something like Ant Man. Uh, where you have Hank Pym as the established Ant-Man, and you hear about his his adventures and escapades in past tense. Uh, sometimes they show you flashbacks of it, and then he's basically handing off uh, the reins to Scott Lang to take over in his place, a, a younger man, uh, while still being being in the picture for a bit there. Very, very similar. And then, qu- coincidentally, Michael Douglas plays, right? So Michael Douglas plays uh, Hank Pym, and then Michael Douglas is uh, married to Catherine Zeta-Jones. So, and then he got, like, throat cancer from, like, eating her out too much or something, but... That's a fair trade. So anyway, uh, there's a scene at this dinner party, and Anthony Hopkins is there, and he's 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 not in disguise. He's he's shaved his face, uh, but he's he's just there as an as a servant, basically, to Antonio Banderas's fake nobleman character. And uh, he's like, "Oh, aren't you going to wear a disguise?" And Hopkins replies that <clears throat> Raphael considers himself a true nobleman, and he'll never look a servant in the eye. And I always remember hearing this line. I never remember actually processing what it means. And then you see the scene play out. And the Hopkins just keeps his head down. Raphael never looks over at him. And his like mortal enemy is standing a, a couple feet from him. But because he's a, a servant, why would he... He's a nobleman. He wouldn't look at him. Stuff like that is cool. Some other stuff throughout the movie. I love that. Okay, so... Uh, this is one other thing I noticed is that uh, on one of his first escapades... Uh, as, as Zorro Banderas, uh, finds himself in a church and he's got to hide in a confessional booth. Classic, the priest who was, uh, back from the, the olden times with the old Zorro is like, oh shit, you're back. Uh, th- yeah, come please hide in here while he's in there. Catherine Gita Jones comes in, uh, just an absolute smoke show to, to confess to who she believes is the priest, but is in fact Zorro. Captain Love comes in the general and, or, or I guess he's captain then. He's not a general. Just call him a general because... 
That's what he looks like. Uh, he comes in and, and, and discovers that, oh, Zoro's, I think, hiding in this confessional booth. He pulls out a gun and shoots the confessional booth. And then uh, basically tells the the priest, hey, I'll deal with you later. I've never realized that later in the movie, when you see these gold mines, uh, Raphael's, there's a, there's a question asked of one of the noblemen of, where do you get all these workers for the mines? Because they're all dirty and caked and shit. There's children. There's just the saddest looking people. And uh, it's basically responded to as, wherever we want. We just we just make slaves of people. As we see, if we need them, they just, that's it. And... Uh, you, it cuts and it holds for a moment. Uh, Banderas is looking over. And the priest is there working in the mine. I've never put that together. Uh, that, that that priest was basically made to be a slave in this gold mine. And of course, uh, Zorro, uh, you know, he finds the plot. He figures it out. They know he knows about the gold mine. They decide they need to destroy this gold mine. And in a true, the most evil villain moment, uh, of course, you could have in a Hollywood movie. Uh, these two guys basically conspire, and they're like, well, what makes the most sense here? We're going to lo- lock all the children and people working in the mine in this mine, and we're just going to fucking blow it up. Uh, great movie. The Mask of Zorro holds the fuck up. Great action scenes. Uh, the characters are all beautiful and likable. Mask of Zorro is a fantastic movie, and I know I've seen the sequel, which came out like seven years later, and it was called The Legend of Zorro. I think both these movies are on Netflix. I can't for the life of me uh, remember what the fuck happens in that movie at all. Uh, so that's probably a bad sign. And then Layer Cake uh, from Matthew Vaughn, I believe it is. This was him. Uh, he was he worked with Guy Ritchie on a lot of on a, his flicks and then kind of wanted to go it alone. Was basically told like, uh, you know, don't uh, don't step your, your bounds here. And made Layer Cake, which is a, a phenomenal movie. Uh, check it out. It's about uh, drug trafficking. Daniel uh, Craig is in that thing. Fucking everybody's in that movie. There's a lot of people uh, recognizable in that movie from from the UK. A lot of Harry Potter actors. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And uh, that movie holds up as well. And I think Matthew Vaughn is the guy who went on to do Kick-Ass and stuff. It's off the top of my fucking head. I could easily look it up on, on a computer. But that was my triple feature. Mortal Kombat, Mask of Zorro, and Layer Cake. That's it. That's it. That's a perfect three movies. If you want like an action movie, charming... Uh, what, what would we call this? Action movies with charming main characters? Except in Mortal Kombat, they're less charming and just more... Uh, Kano's kind of charming, I guess. Yeah. Before we get to the Sultans of Slam, let's talk about dreams. <laughs> I'm going to talk about a very specific kind of dream. Uh, so, the other night, I I ate something weird. Uh, we I, I can't remember what it was earlier in the night, but... Oh, that's what it was. It was like extra spicy chicken sandwiches. Had some Mary Browns. Had the spicy chicken sandwich from Mary Browns. So already... Uh, you know, my guts are hallucinating from how spicy those sandwiches are. Uh, and then later in the evening, of course, feeling a little peckish later in the evening. Why not grab a bowl of cereal? Down a bowl of sugar crisp, or what is it called now? Golden crisp or whatever. Uh, and, uh, and and go to bed. Well, not just go to bed. Watch an episode of My Little Old Boy, uh, the Korean variety show, which I learned just moments ago. And I think I've learned this previously and was it was as amazed by it. Uh, it's called Mum's Diary, My Ugly Duckling in Korean, which is uh, which is fun. Uh, this is the show, again, where there's a panel of moms, some hosts, and a guest, which is usually like an actor or a singer. And they, uh, they sit on a panel and they commentate and watch uh, footage of these different subjects on the show, uh, which I guess you would also consider hosts. Uh, which are usually the the children of the moms present on the panel. And we see them go about their, their day. Uh, most recent 
Uh, Leah was watching an episode of uh, Kim Jong-kook, and he discovered that he has this extra bedroom in his house that he, he's thinking of renting out to somebody, but then he actually put some gym equipment in there, and he's completely blown away that he hadn't done this earlier, that he could just have a gym at his house and never have to leave. He's so happy. He calls all his friends, and then they start showing up to work out at his house, and it's a good time. Anyway, Kim Jun-ho is uh, one of the, the uh, people who have popped up on this now. He used to be on Two Days, One Night. Uh, he looks like Krista's uncle, which is kind of fun. And uh, he's having some rough time. He's going through a divorce. Uh, so any segment with him is usually kind of sad. Either he's hungover or like just in a bad way. He's got friends coming over to help him clean up. His, his fucking apartment or condo is just a constant state of chaos. And... Uh, it's, 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 yeah, you, you watch this poor man, uh, who's, you know, middle-aged, kind of f- floating between jobs, is, is, is relatively famous, like, he's, he's a recognizable guy, and he's on this show a lot, uh, but, you know, he's reached that age, and it's, uh, it's time to go for a colonoscopy. If you're listening to this right now, you're very confused by how we got from spicy chicken sandwiches to colonoscopy, but bear with me. Uh, so there's, there's a preamble here where he's got to drink that jug of uh whatever it is uh to just cleanse your bowels make you shit and uh so he's chugging this he's chugging this it tastes awful he's chugging he's chugging it his buddy shows up uh to just spend time with him and brings like a fucking seven plate meal just for himself to eat because obviously if you're waiting for the colonoscopy you're drinking that stuff to clear your bowel out uh you're you're not eating you're just uh so misery loves company here and uh you know eventually uh, it works its way through his system and, and he's shitting okay cool it's time for the actual colonoscopy. He gets picked up. He, uh, he, there's an emergency halfway. He has to find a train station uh, to, to go shit into. And uh, there's, there's some fun parts in the car where he's the guy with him is trying to teach him, like, hey, do this with acupuncture to stop yourself from shitting, etc. Anyways, he shits in the, in the subway. He's feeling good. They get to the hospital. He shits again. Uh, there's a gross scene where the, the, the nurse is just like, hey, uh, uh, is there any residue residues? residue left uh and he's like what uh y- yes so he's gonna have her again until uh the trap the trap is clear it's time to rear uh he's he's ready to go and he goes and gets his colonoscopy he wakes up and it's done uh he lets out a huge fart and everybody has a good laugh and it moves on to the next segment pretty uh, this this character uh the way he's portrayed in this show is just like seeing this man go through a colonoscopy makes sense uh, he's kind of downtrodden, and seeing him go through something like this is, is kind of what the show is about. It's In terms of reality TV, this is as reality as it gets. You're just literally watching a man go through a medical procedure. Um, tastefully done, of course. There, there's the, the shitting uh, implication and the loud fart. But other than that, we don't see anything from the uh, colonoscopy. So why do I bring this up? Well, when I eat something right before bed, especially if I've eaten something a little crazier, spicier earlier on, there's a chance that I'll have a wild dream. And I don't dream very often, but when I do, the dreams are very long. And they incorporate a lot of different things uh, from my subconscious. Especially, uh, you know, perverting things that happened just just that day. So, of course, I head into bed, having just watched this man get a colonoscopy. And I wake up in my dream. What? You wake up dead? I'm in my dream, and now I am getting a colonoscopy. <laughs> So, only in my dream, uh, you you drink the the liquid. Uh, I don't remember any shitting in the dream, uh, but I do very vividly remember the colonoscopy. And now I'm very curious 
uh, as to what a colonoscopy actually feels like. But I guess you're put under, so you wouldn't really know. You would just know the before and the after. So, <laughs> only in my dream, uh, it's it's a, it's like a large hospital ward, like one with just the curtains, and you could have, like, let's say 12 beds. In the middle, there is a round table, chairs on the outside, no bottoms on the chairs. I think you know where I'm going with this. <clears throat> so, you get on your chair, and you're sitting upright, and you just got your, like, arms on the table in front of you. Like you're playing Mahjong or something. And uh, the two nurses come in. Both very attractive women. Uh, I don't know if this was... If they were based on uh, another part of the variety show I was watching. Obviously there's a lot of, uh, of K-pop stars and, and stuff on that. Good looking good looking Korean people. Uh, basically what these girls... Like it's like Blackpink showed up to give me a fucking colonoscopy. And uh, d- get down to business. Just, just okay, here we go. And uh, you ever been shot in a dream? before your your if your body hasn't god god forbid you've been shot in real life or stabbed uh but if you don't have a i i have this in dreams all the time where if i don't have a a, a pool of reference for how something should feel or taste or smell or sound uh my subconscious would just fill in the gaps and it's up to me to pursue that in real life if i want to actually see if it, it matches up uh this is really really good in dreams now because if i eat something it will it will taste like what it's supposed to uh, so in a lucid dream scenario where you're at a, at a, at a wings restaurant, it becomes like, oh no, no, let's order everything, uh, and, and eat it because it's going to taste and be satisfying like real food in my dream. That's maybe something specific to me. Uh, but I, I've never been shot in real life. I've been shot in dreams before. And it's basically like being hit with really hard hail. It's like, ow, 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 ow. I don't want uh, a hail of bullets, if you will. I don't want to be shot. This sucks. But I also know, uh, truthfully, this is not what being shot probably feels like. Uh, depending on where you get shot, of course, you might not feel anything at all. Just like a warm sensation or something like that. Obviously, there are places to be shot that hurt considerably. All I know is this colonic that Blackpink, that Blackpink gave me uh, is probably far from what the real thing would feel like if you were just uh, sitting upright and awake and under no anesthetic. I imagine it would feel uh, quite different. Anyway, it's it's a, it was a tube in the ass. And... Uh, Kind of felt like you would uh, expect it to, I guess. It, the first thing I thought when I woke up was just like, I wonder if that's what it feels like. To, what is it? What are, how far do they go with the colonoscopy? How big is the thing that they, they shove in there? I wasn't really looking. I, there wasn't like a mirror or something set up. Anyway, be careful what you eat and what you watch before you go to sleep. Dreams are unpredictable. Anything can happen. And that dream went on to get even crazier. But of course, in true dream fashion, I was like, I'll just... That was such a... I've got such a vivid memory of this dream that I'll just remember it on the podcast in a week's time. And the way the brain works is as it figures out that, mm, no way he didn't get the colonoscopy. No, wait, there wasn't a big party in the woods afterwards uh, in a cool, like, Ewok-esque tree village. These things didn't happen. And the way the brain expunges uh, that stuff, unless you really think about it and really commit it to a new memory, put it in a different folder entirely... In the case of the colonic, uh, that stuff just slowly slides out of your brain, and I don't know if there's a German word for that, but it's very gentle. And you, you, these these images that when you first wake up seem so real, something that like happened that you're thinking about that day. Eventually, your brain figure figures things out, and it was like, oh, we fucked up. Uh, and this is the same uh, this is the same measure that your brain cuts out uh, travel time. If you do the same drive every day. If you don't have someone there sitting with you with varied conversation, if you're just listening to a podcast or music every day when you're driving, 
there could be days, you know, especially when you're 25, 30 plus, that your brain just starts just chopping out that bit. It didn't, it didn't need it. That 20 minute commute to your work, you don't really need to remember that for your whole life. And uh, you're forgetting things all the time. So how about we just cut that out? And then you can remember things that really matter. Uh, like committing that dream colonic to memory. Anyway, uh, that was weird. The show is good though. That My little boy show, Mom's Diary, My Ugly Duckling. Good stuff. Check it out. Sultans of Slam for two Wednesdays. As we didn't do a show last week, I have uh, prepared a quick recap of two weeks worth of AEW Dynamite. Coincidentally, these are also the first uh, shows where AEW Dynamite was not opposed by NXT, which has moved to Tuesday. And both shows are better for it. NXT is doing some pretty big numbers. AEW is doing much, much better. Breaking a million viewers for two weeks running. Doing insane ratings uh, for cable, for TNT, uh, for the previous couple weeks. And someone sat down and thought about that. Someone sat down and thought, NXT is not there. There's potentially 600,000 or, or so more eyes we can put on this product. People who are morbidly curious. People who switch between the two shows. Now they've got nowhere to go. They can just watch AEW Dynamite. And the entire show, and I'm talking about the show from the 14th, was maybe one of the best AEW shows, not on paper, because there's a lot of matches on here that are a little perplexing, uh, that based on what I am saying that you would go with. Like that you would put Jade Cargill versus Red Velvet as the second wrestling match of the night sounds crazy. Uh, if, if you're like, this is it. This is the big show. Jade Cargill, Red Velvet. Let's go. Um, but they open this fucking thing uh, a little differently. We got the Bucks recapping their heel turn at the start. We get an opening title sequence and then MJF tries to sweet talk Mike Tyson backstage into uh, uh, colluding with the pinnacle. Uh, he disses his face tattoo and offers him a blank check. Ma Mike Tyson not only rips up this check, he then swallows it. This man is this man is unhinged. He's going to be the guest enforcer in a match later tonight against Dax Harwood and Jericho. Okay, let's get down to a wrestling match, which is usually how AEW begins. And boy, howdy, did it start with a wrestling match. It, here it is. Uh, people are tuning in for the first time. You're unopposed. What do you put on? You put on Ray Phoenix and Pac versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Championship. Ray Phoenix and Pac won the Battle Royale, so they get to jump the line and uh, fight the Bucks for the championship right here and now. Don Callis is on commentary. He's incredible as always. Just a perfect heel putting over uh, the Elite. Broadcast cuts to the crowd to show other tag teams in attendance watching this match, including the number one ranked SCU, Kazarian and Daniels. Pac and Phoenix jumped the line uh, here. So the the announcers are explaining, here's everybody else involved in the rankings and what will happen uh, based on the outcome of this. And that's what AEW is at least good at, is that even though things don't necessarily always line up or make sense in terms of the ranking system and who's getting a shot, it is acknowledged. Nick Jackson uh, unmasks Ray Phoenix after a massive 20-plus minute match. The Bucks retain here. Uh, like I said, this is their first match unopposed, and they just fucking went for it. Like, the amount of spots and moves. Uh, these guys did a great fucking job. This is a, like, phenomenal job. Showcase the wrestling you will see on AEW Dynamite. You're going to see all kinds of wrestling on this show, but my god, to just be like, no, 25 minutes, give these guys, let them, let them go. Fantastic. Marvez interviews Hangman in Dark Order. John Silver has a messed up shoulder. Uh, it's egg roll time. 
I don't remember the context of these notes. Uh, and then uh, John is uh, rehabbing his shoulder, and it's, uh, was it uh, Reynolds comes out, and he's just like, time to get it up, John. Get it up, John. Get it up, John. And John's just slowly raising his arm, and everybody's cheering and clapping. What a bunch of faces. Now Marvez is interviewing Jericho. He's a busy man tonight. Inner Circle and Iron Mike Tyson is there as well. Jericho puts over Tyson, says Mike had their back when they called. Jericho asks Mike to call it down the middle tonight. They put a live mic to Mike Tyson's lips. In 2021 on live TV, they're like, Mike Tyson, here's a microphone. And it was pretty, he was, he was fine. Mike Tyson seems uh, coherent. He seems uh, he seems with it. I mean, he seems insane. Uh, he's, he's Mike fucking Tyson. But uh, a show of respect here between all the guys. And uh, get Mike Tyson every 30 minutes on this show. That's, that's, how you, that's how you hold viewers. Jake Cargill versus Red Velvet. In the opening for this, I said, why? Uh, if, you're, if you're doing the thing I said you were doing and showcasing... What AEW is and what it can do. Why this match? I was wrong. This is a fantastic match. Uh, pretty short. Jade Cargill goes over here. Looks fantastic. Red Velvet does her job perfectly. Uh, shining up Jade Cargill. Jade Cargill could be a big fucking deal uh, as a women's wrestler if if she progresses uh, in, the, in, in the way she is. Uh, great fucking look. Cool looking moves. Got the posing down. If anything, Jade Cargill has got the posing down. This was fine. This was fantastic. Good job. Tony with Britt Baker and Reba. Britt uh, Brit explains the ranking system, considers Velvet's loss, and says she'll be uh, in contention very shortly. Baker is great here. Reba as well. Great show, guys, I have written. Just flying. Just The show was just clicking. Anthony Agogo, who is an Olympian and a QT Marshall's boy, uh, versus a jobber I didn't catch the name of, so I'm just going to call him Brian Remeth. Uh, QT and his goons are there. Nick Camarano looking sick as hell. He's got like a big white coat. On this hairy man. The match ends with Anthony Agogo punching in the man in the stomach. And the ref immediately calls the match. So people have some issues with this. Uh, to hit someone with a punch. And then for the ref to call it off like this. Uh, what is what is pro wrestling? Because this that he didn't react to this punch any differently than anyone has reacted to any wrestling punch ever. It was just so devastating the ref could tell. It's like now it's over. Um, the way to do that would be like the, he's out. Like he, you punch this man in the... In the kidneys, and he's uh, he's he's just laid out, and the, the, he can't, he's unable to fight. And the ref calls it. No, the guy just gets slugged in the stomach, and the ref is immediately like, "No, it's it's over." And that's going to be a Gogo's thing, I guess. Is he's he's got that that tricky punch that can just take you out right there on the spot. I don't know. This could have been better. Yep, best man Miro. He's uh, he's here. He's yelling. He's he wants championship gold around his waist. He's looking for Kip. Kip hasn't showed up. He's too cowardly to face Miro after what he did. This was the best Miro we've had in AEW so far, and there's a follow-up to this on the pre on the next episode, uh, which would be the previous episode for you. And uh, it's more of the same. And they're shining up, getting getting Miro ready for some kind of push. And uh, this is way better than anything Miro's done in AEW so far. Good. Justin Roberts introduces Mike Tyson at the uh, 50 minute mark. Jericho and uh, Dax Harwood square off. Big pop for Tyson as the guest enforcer. Jericho wrestling babyface here. Crowd singing Judas cheering the man. We get a lion tamer. Tyson gets involved to keep the match fair. Punching Cash Wheeler in the head. Jericho hits the Judas effect and pins Dax. Blood and guts is coming May 5th. Don Callis and the Elite are in the parking lot. They're all cutting promos and acting like dipshits. Don Callis super kicks the cameraman at the end of the segment after the Bucks. Uh, fame that they are going to. Thunder Rosa video package. She wants the NWA and AW belts for herself. She's got a lot of pants and she's got to hold them up and she wants all the gold to do it. 
This is not me recapping her promo. This is just my interpretation of it. Uh, Chris Statlander is back in action here after many, many months off, almost a year or something like that, uh, rehab and an injury. Uh, enters with the best friends to their music. Seems to be an alien name and introduction only. No, unfortunately, my mistake. She still boops Paul Turner, the ref, on the nose. Uh, I, it's not. A, it's not. A, it's definitely more understated here in her performance of the character. I'll say. Uh, I like the cool alien eye thing she has on one side of her face going on. That looks cool. I would just make it. I don't know, man. I, I've said my piece on Chris Tatlander before. Uh, hell of a wrestler. Great look uh, outside of the, the the gimmick, which uh, gets gets into the silliness. Trent has also added a question mark to the end of his name in every title card and and what have you, which is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like dumb jokes, but this, <laughs> she murders Amber Nova here with a supernova for the W, back improved, and uh, taking out people with a move that has the same last name as hers. Chris Tatlander is. Team Taz talks about Christian Cage. Ricky Starks is mad that they're waiting on this guy. Brian Cage agrees. Ricky should stay backstage. Uh, Taz says they both should be benched here. They're a bit too hot in the head. Uh, and to, to for let cooler heads prevail. Let's see how that goes. Tony is in the ring with Christian Cage. Taz appears. Christian says he will not join Team Taz. Taz calls him a shitbag verbatim and starts screaming at him will hobbs steps up takes a swing at christian hobbs gets some good offense here and they leave christian laying next week's match is announced including will hobbs versus christian cage uh next week's uh blah, 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 we get a video package here for tay conti and her car Shida. the main event falls count anywhere darby allen versus matt hardy matt has uh left his goons in the back by choice hardy using a chair quite a bit to deplete poor darby's health bar matt hardy's goons appear sting and dark order appear to even the odds now sting and private party are in the ring in the middle of this match uh in this this, this matt hardy darby championship match now the the camera is focused on Sting fighting Private Party in the ring. The rest of this match uh, becomes kind of run-ins for a little bit. Lance Archer appears. There's so many things going on, it's hard to keep track, says Tony Schiavone. Uh, leg drop from a ladder through a table uh, to Darby. Hardy kicked in the dick on the stage. Darby equips Sting's back. Batten and uh, Hardy retreats. Big bat shot to uh, to Hardy's middle by Darby. Coffin drop off the scaffolding on the stage. Darby pins Matt Hardy. On a uh, broken table to retain the TNT Championship. It was bookended by uh, what was a cool Matt Hardy-Darby Allen match. Uh, I think Matt Hardy works really well with Darby. I think their styles kind of went kind of the old uh, high flyer veteran uh, slugging it out with this this uh, devil may care Darby Allen. I think they had a good uh, good thing. They did a lot of run-ins in the middle. And this is uh, something that happens in the uh, the following week's matches as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, April 21st had an AEW Dynamite. Absolute Ricky Stark versus Hangman Adam Page to start things off. Ricky Stark's uh, puts up a good fight. He's scrappy. Avalanche fallaway slam to Ricky. Clothesline for a near fall. Taz on commentary putting over his boy. Starks ducks a butt shot, buckshot lariat and hits a spear of his own. Near fall on Page. Page wins by submission, focusing on Stark's bad ankle in this match. Taz on the mic calling out Page after the match. Says he got lucky. He's number one ranked. Tells him to watch his back. And Hook, Taz's son, attacks Page. Ricky to his feet. Page fights both men. Brian Cage appears, but the Dark Order pours into the ring for the save. Penta L0. Miaro and uh, Alex Abrahantes is the name of this guy that I, I always refuse to name uh, here for some reason. Uh, that is the guy who was translating for Penta and having a whole hell of a lot of fun versus Trent with the question mark. 
Uh, Penta chops the shit out of the ring post at one point here in the match. Alex gets involved with a distraction, fall allowing Penta to recover. Uh, and long story short here, package pile driver, one, two, three, Penta gets the win. Alex Abrahantes is, is really good. I don't know that he needs to be used in this capacity as almost like a distraction shit heel manager. I don't know if that's what we need out of this guy, but he's still entertaining. So I can't complain just yet. JR. So my, my ultimate thing would be like that Penta gets a legitimate title uh, shot and maybe go solo front leaves Pac and Ray Phoenix to be the Lucha Bros. I don't know, but whatever the case uh, my fear here is that Penta would either have a a proper heel turn and go solo on his own or something like that, and is give is given his first championship in in AEW uh, via cheating with Alex, uh, with Alex being involved in in the finish, and I don't uh, that rubs me the wrong way for Penta. I think he should absolutely one hundred percent clean earn his uh, his gold here. Uh, JR with the pinnacle. Wardlow calls out Chris Jericho for stumbling his words when mentioning his name last week. MJF leads the promo after that, screaming, yelling. Masterful job. Blood and, uh, blood and guts, as mentioned, coming May 5th. Tay Conte, or Ty Conte, I believe is... is is it's Ty, I believe. Uh, versus Karo Shida for the AEW Women's Championship. Shida given some motivation here. Uh, we actually learned that uh, Sheeta's goal is to hold the belt long enough to fight in front of sold-out crowds and uh, represent the AEW Women's Championship, therefore. That gives, uh, honest to God, uh, a little shot in the arm for Sheeta here, some motivation and uh, uh, some likability to her. Uh, that the, the character just kind of hasn't been given, doesn't have. Justin Roberts gives a full match introduction after uh, entrances are done. A uh, show of respect before they get down to business with a shared bow. Solid match. Uh, pillar to post here. Uh, the champ, the champ drops Conti back first on the corner ropes. Pump kick Conti with a tai KO, tai KO, tai KO. Sheeta kicks out just barely. Backbreaker katana knee to the face and Sheeta pins Tay Conti one two three to retain. Britt Baker appears after the match with a giant ranking graphic showing that Sheeta uh, will have to fight Baker next. This was great. Uh, Tay Conti has come a very very long way. Uh, she's getting Anna Jay's push, as far as we know. The Dark Order wasn't really evolved, involved in this match. Uh, this this was really, really good. Good stuff. from uh, Trending upwards for the women's wrestling on AEW. Miro with some words for Kip Sabian. Another week with no Kip. The longer Kip doesn't show up, the more Miro is going to murder this man and turn him inside out. And we learn later that Kip will apparently be present next week. So, oh boy, Kip. Oh boy. Uh, Miro is, is, he's, he doesn't know, he, he wants gold, he wants the belts, he doesn't care in what order, he doesn't know who to beat first, he is, he is fired up, this guy. Tony Schiavone in the ring calls on the inner circle to join him, good showcase of the entire group here, uh, they call out the pinnacle, show tunes, Jericho sings a bit, uh, says that he wants to parlay with the pinnacle, and they will discuss battle plans next week. So there you go, Jericho knows the word parlay, and that's what's happening. Now we have... Bill, Billy Gunn uh, versus QT Marshall. Sure. Interference with Nick Camarano and another guy, something solo. Uh, I believe he's been on the show before too. Uh, Billy's sons jump in uh, after uh, Nick Camarano puts some hands on Billy here uh, when the ref is distracted. QT hits a massive pile driver. Billy kicks out. Billy whiffs a Famouser, counters uh, a diamond cutter from QT. Both men on the stage. Anthony Agogo appears to slug Billy. Uh, with that killer punch, while the ref, again, is distracted. Diamond cutter to the injured Billy. One, two, three. QT steals a W here. 
Dustin Rhodes strikes after the match to lay out QT. Dustin wielding a TV tray and a bull rope. Camarano attacks. Dustin smashes the TV tray, which is is referred to as a chair, over his head. It is no sold here. Camarano's just getting angrier. The refs arrive to break things up. The Elite, in their trailer in the parking lot, poke fun at Moxley and Kingston, whom are allegedly back tonight. A honking horn can be heard. Mox and Kingston, in a lifted truck, ram into the trailer. That's an expensive bit here for a bit that wasn't great. Kingston asks Moxley if he's got the pipe. They smash windows, open the door. The Elite is gone. Nowhere to be seen. And the scene should have ended, but it goes on another 45 seconds of Mox and Kingston all fired up and vamping. And uh, I think that hurt this overall. It just made it awkward. That's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. Will Powerhouse Hobbs versus Christian Cage. Hobbs overpowers Christian as we head to a commercial break where Hobbs just keeps getting the heat. Taz on commentary once more. Hobbs powers out of a kill switch. Taz is like Don Callis, only his guys always lose. Uh, Taz is always super hyped on his guys and putting them over. And then ultimately it's like, ah, fuck. And then he's got to like say some shit afterwards. I kind of like it. I I like that he never sees it coming. That his his guys usually losing on these shows and then getting their W's back on dark and stuff like that. They are the, they are the, the, the heel stable in terms of having a variety of guys that aren't involved in like a stable versus stable thing right that's 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 team taz i think so another kill switch and christian pins uh old hobbs here via pin this was a great shine on hobbs this was a fine match and a a good uh showcase of of will hobbs here with with christian fine match next week penta versus cassidy chris statlander versus penelope ford uh and kip will apparently be there at ringside i've got some bad news for kip uh the young bucks versus the side dells sure uh, the Nightmares, as in family, versus The Factory, as in QT Marshall and friends. Uh, inner Circle Parlay with the Pinnacle. Brian Cage versus Hangman Page. That's Cage and Page. Jade Cargill, video package. Everyone wishes uh, to get her in their stable to sign her. She's her own boss. Uh, if you want to sign her, you should bring a lot. Of, it's kind of a redundant video uh, promo here, but I digress. She's money, says JR. Main event, Darby Allen once more in the main event versus the fans' choice, Jungle Boy. He put out the open challenge, and Jungle Boy is here to answer it. JR puts over both of these men, says what they lack in size, they make up for in leverage, finesse, and resiliency. I think that's me putting words in JR's mouth, but that's more or less what he was getting at. TV time remaining for the TNT title matches here versus the 60-minute limit for the women's match earlier in the show, meaning... It make, would make more sense for those to have been flipped. Excalibur is the one saying this, though, so they're calling themselves out on it. And, of course, the match ends before the show goes off the air anyway. Technical start. High spots and fighting to the outside before Jungle Boy resorts to snare traps and other submissions. Darby in pain gouges a little eye meat. Darby hits a surprise Last Supper and pins Jungle Boy 1-2-3. Old Jungle didn't have that one scouted, I guess. He t- it took him by surprise. Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page strike after the match, attacking Darby. Lance Archer and Sting appeared for the save. Uh, the, the run-ins, the, uh, I guess you want to have Lance Archer on every show, but don't really have anything for him to say or Jake the Snake's not around. I don't know what the case is, uh, but the run-ins need to slow down or at least need to stop being on Darby's matches, unless that's part of... A Darby Allen match is that everybody wants a piece of this guy and they're showing up. I guess that's fine. Second show, not as good as the first show. Uh, back to front. But both shows, definitely worth watching. Very good. Both did very good ratings uh, without NXT running against them. Uh, so good for them. 
That's AEW. That's the Sultans. I totally didn't mention the Mark Carano thing uh, that happened with the Mickey James and the the garbage bag. And then later learning that that guy was stealing WWE championship belts and hiding them under his bed. And his like girlfriend dropped the dime on him or something. I don't know. That's not the reason he was fired. Obviously, there's, there's a number of other. Man, carnies, baby. Let me tell you something else. During the break, I looked up uh, the difference because I wanted to know how to spell things. There's a colonic and there's a colonoscopy. These are two very different things. Colonoscopy, they are uh, searching your intestine or bowel or whatever for uh, anomalies, things you want to be aware of. The colonic, uh, which I kept referring to the colonoscopy as, is uh, when they flood your uh, anus and (laughs) bowel with water and then flush it out, uh, which is more of a holistic uh, medicine thing and not a, a procedure to detect. You're le- we learned so much together on this show. Why would you go anywhere else? Uh, I'm going to more or less wrap it up there. I-, I fell down an internet hole last week of bizarre fake martial arts. And it's nothing I haven't seen before. And the world of uh, wrestling, let's say. Fake martial arts, psychics, uh, people being in on the work is uh, is a big part of uh, of that scene. Zhu Zhao Dong is a Chinese MMA fighter, and I went on a deep dive on that guy yesterday and what he's been through and what he's doing and what the, the case of that is. And I find it very, very fascinating. If you uh, want to learn more in one nice package of everything I'm kind of summing up here, uh, one of the videos I watched was from Super Eyepatch Wolf on YouTube, and the video is called The Bizarre World of Fake Martial Arts from over a year ago, February 1st, 2020. He goes through... Uh, the history of martial arts in the United States, how these fake dojos and martial arts uh, came to be, how that led to these clan-like uh, existences of these dojos uh, around these fake masters, and what happens when real martial artists call out these fake masters, and it actually comes down to a fight. And that all uh, kind of leads up to the real story here, which is this Chinese MMA uh, fighter named Zhu, and you need to learn... Uh, Everybody needs to learn about this guy. He's the biggest white meat baby face on the fucking planet, as far as I'm concerned. So check that out. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Of course, Public Beta Podcast is coming up this Thursday, this weekend. The Venom Supercast, which is all of two parts, brought together, uh, will be posted over the weekend. So if you uh, missed our Venom discussion, you can find it all in one place right there. Uh, next week, what do we got? Well, Sultans of Slam, for sure. Uh, and uh, maybe we do go into a deep dive on these fake martial arts on the the actual show here we shall see at iceberg podcast on twitter lee at titsitheiceberg.com is my email address send questions topics things you find interesting uh that's also the same mailbox for public beta podcast if you have a video game related question we like to filter them over there and that's just the tits of the iceberg